Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's talk about idolatry. And I, I, if we're going to be Christian television-esque, I'd have you touch your neighbor and say, this isn't for you, it's for me, because this is for you. Do not hear this for your spouse. Do not hear this for your backslidden niece in Toledo. Hear this for yourself, because it's for us. And uh, so anyway, I was going for my run yesterday, and this is what just kept rolling around in me. Idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Therefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now this is Corinth, Corinth of Greece, so we know there's a lot of Greek or Roman gods there, so that's one form of idolatry. Paul goes on in this passage, though, to say the idol is nothing and the offering is nothing, but what the Gentiles or the heathen sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils, and I would not that you had any fellowship with demons. The issue at hand is not one of golden statues or concrete statues or wooden statues. That is a form of idolatry, but what makes idolatry idolatry, we know, is the heart. And that being the case, we can be born again, spirit-filled, Bible-believing, Bible-school-trained, even ministers, and still have a heart that has idols in it. And this is the truth that I've got to communicate. It isn't my truth. It isn't my lived truth. It is Bible truth. I would say every one of us right now has an idol in our heart. Why else would the Bible tell us in two more places, hey, saints, flee idolatry. Hey, children, flee idols. Hey, get this out of your life. We need to understand that worship is of the heart. And worship is anything you think about, dwell on, sacrifice for, will defend to the death, and believe everybody else needs to be part of. And that's going to be one of the key things we see this morning. You are into idolatry when your biggest concern is making everybody like you. Because we're not all designed to be alike. And we'll get to that here more in a minute. Our job ought to be concerned with making people look like Jesus. Amen. So there's, there's trillions of idols in the world. Some big ones include unforgiveness. I, I would say probably we could say an idol is anything that changes you. That isn't in line with Jesus Christ. In one regard, um, if you were to have statue idolatry in your heart, just think about a pagan worshiping a wooden statue. The second that pagan idol worshiper sees that idol, it's going to elicit worship in their heart, and they're going to fall down and, and give obeisance to that idol. If you were to, uh, you and I aren't raised pagans necessarily, not like third world pagans where there's idols and multitudes of gods and superstition. Their hearts have been trained to when they see that idol, that statue, that golden or bronze, whatever, their heart bends to it. Their knee bows before it. I think we've seen it in the movies. Indiana Jones is the famous one. They, he holds up that golden statue in the beginning that he steals out of the temple. And as soon as all the tribal people see that statue, what do they instantly do? If you know the movie, pardon the example, they instantly bow before it because their heart was trained to bow before their God. Now, we don't necessarily as Christians have that, but if the presence of God falls in our services, our hearts will bow. If the name of Jesus is proclaimed, your hearts will bow because that's how your heart's been trained to give worship to God. Hindus, pagans, Buddhists, etc., uh, they see certain things and they'll, their hearts will bend. They might even fall prostrate there on the ground before it. But we can tell we have idols in our heart when a name is mentioned 
And all of a sudden, we instantly do this. It causes an instant response in our heart. If we said, you know, what do you, what do you know about old Sally Smith? And you hate Sally Smith. As soon as that name is mentioned, you know, the, the precious name of Sally Smith, and your heart says, I hate that woman. Idol. Because she, her name has triggered your heart's response. That's idolatry. Especially when the response is unbiblical. Now, you might see your football team or your hockey team. You might see the headline and you cheer. That's neither here nor there. It is a response of the heart, but you're not trying to make everybody else love your team. You're just happy they won. You might try to teach everybody how to hate Sally Smith with you. And you might begin to get into gossip and slander so that you can get everybody on your page of worship. That becomes an idol. So unforgiveness is a massive form of idolatry. So is jealousy. You can become so jealous of something, you can get into idolatry. Actually, go to Colossians. That's the next little verse we want to look at. I don't mean little disrespectfully, but that's the next brief verse we want to stop off. Jealousy can become an idol. Unforgiveness is certainly an idol. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says, Colossians 3, 5. Mortify, therefore, your members or your body, which are upon the earth. It means put to death the desires of your body, including fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. Inordinate affection means obsession. Uh, we might stop there for a second. Inordinate affection is what I see America doing with pets. Actually, I just read a headline. I read it twice yesterday. Then I read the article to make sure it wasn't as crazy as I thought it was, and it was crazier. Three in five Americans who were polled out of like 5,000 pet owners, three in five Americans identify their pet as their soulmate. Google it. That is an inordinate affection. That would be an idol. And it was like 60% said they would put themselves in harm's way to save their fur baby. That's an idol. I mean, I'm not fighting anybody for a steak, and I'm not running across a highway to save food. So there's an inordinate affection there, and the deception in our nation is so subtle. I've, in our neighborhood... I, we've run in our neighborhood for 10 years now, and so you get to know the neighbors and you get to see what they do with their yards because you're running several times a week. And, and I've observed in my neighborhood over the decade that first, the homeowner gets a pet. And who knows, you know, if you buy a nice pet, it might be 500 bucks, shots and all. And, and then, but will you, well, yeah, I want a pet because I want a friend. I need a friend. So you get the pet because you need a friend because your spouse works too much or you're just weird. But then the friend is too much work, so then you have to install an electric fence. Because you, you can't just walk them every time. It's inconvenient. You know, friendships are inconvenient, says the lady who's weird and needs a pet for a friend. So she installs an electric fence, but that shocks her friend. So after a couple months of hearing little scruffy yelp, oh, how could I do that to my friend? Well, you did it to every other friend in your life, which is why you needed a new one from PetSmart. So then what they do is they go and install a bigger fence that's not electrified. It's just a gated fence, and that's another five grand, maybe 10 grand. And, and so now, you know, if they're Christians, there goes money for missionaries because you're too weird to make human friends. And so after a while, you know, that friend's in the backyard and doesn't yelp anymore, but you're really not friends with it. And then you look out the window and you say, my friend is so lonely. I need to get Mr. Scruffy another friend. And I think, 
You were supposed to be Scruffy's friend. Scruffy's supposed to be your friend. But now you got to go back to PetSmart to drop another 500 to 1,000 bucks on another pet. And now before long, you're identifying with that Barna research, or maybe not Barna, but AP poll. Those are my soulmates out there. That's idolatry. That is weird. And I apologize to our Africans. Yes, America is this crazy. We had one of our Nigerian students a couple years ago. She played basketball for tech. Her brother came into town and got a machete to chase a cat in the apartment complex. And she said, no, 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 you can't do that. They're important to Americans. <laughs> Am I right, Nigerians? Yes. Yeah, they're nodding. They're laughing. Yeah. Her, her brother came to town, saw a stray cat, got, I guess, the family machete and started chasing the, square, the stray cat. And the girl who went to our church said, you, you, can't, you, can't, you just can't go kill that cat in the apartment complex with the machete. They'll be upset with you. Do it like the Chinese. Secret them away. Inordinate affection. That's, the Greek means a vile passion. And when your animal is a member of your family, and you spend more money on it and more time with it than you do your children or your grandchildren, I think I could judge that as a vile passion, an inordinate affection. You're obsessed. And that's an idol, but let's keep reading. Evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. So here we have, there's no golden statues in this list. It's all internal workings. But it concludes with covetousness. So you can get into greed or lust or covetousness, and you want something so bad, it becomes an idol. It consumes you. you, you you're consumed of the next house, consumed of the next car, consumed of the next promotion, consumed of the next vacation. It consumes you. You wake up thinking about it. You go to bed thinking about it. You covet. You get jealous when your neighbor gets what you want. And that becomes idolatry, and there's no Buddha around. There's no Shiva around. There's no Brahma around. There's no fertility totem from the Inca civilization around. It's just you and your heart and your, your, your lust and your greed working against you. And the second you hear about so-and-so got the promotion, you bend and you bow in obeisance. And all of a sudden, you've got to go do something about it. That's what idolatry is. It's a matter of the heart. And that's why we have to be very careful. There's in every one of us, there's something that is either used to be an idol or is in the process of becoming an idol or is already an idol. For many folks, it's unforgiveness. It's jealousy in our nation. Maybe not so much in our community, but something like Atlanta or the bigger, fancier cities is going to be avarice, money, prestige, fame. This is why people sell their soul, to be famous, to have things. These are idols. Anything you can't lay on the altar of God and walk away from is an idol. Anything, anything at all becomes an idol, and that's all God is going to talk to you about. And the more you try to press into God with that idol in your heart, the more that thing is going to tear you apart on the inside, and you're going to actually become miserable trying to seek God's presence because it, what's in him, holiness, is burning and desiring to destroy what you refuse to let go of. I've told you my most embarrassing Dumbest story about idolatries when I was 25, 26, 27. Uh, I've always been a comic book guy, used to do a lot of comic book art. And that first Spider-Man movie came out. And even though I'm like 25, 27 years old, and I'm like the prestigious geologist for this international firm, my mama shows up to my job. 
which is weird, but mamas are mamas. And she knew that Spider-Man movie was coming out, and she went and bought me the big Spider-Man doll. It was like action figure. So I was like, cool. This looks really bad in the parking lot, mama. I mean, like, but thank you. It's so cool. I didn't even know they made this. But all right, can you please now go away? Because if anybody else sees that their geologist has this giant Spider-Man thing from the Tobey Maguire movie, I'm in trouble. So I'm excited. It's in the car. Can't wait to go home and, you know, take it out and just... That's all you said. That's all you do with stuff is just look at it. But this is how stupid idols are. I didn't even know the toy existed till noon, lunch. The movie hasn't even come out yet. My mama brings it to me to bless her son. And I'm excited to have it because I'm a Spider-Man guy, at least I used to be. And walk at 5.30, I'm walking to my apartment complex. I lived in the rough part of Knoxville, kind of right on the perimeter of the very rough part of Knoxville. And as I'm walking up, I've got this thing, and I'm so excited to take it upstairs and open it. And I was in a season in my life where God was speaking to me to give stuff away. He was just teaching me how to let go of stuff. I was giving everything away. And so this is raw on me, and I'm just learning to give everything away. And as I'm walking uh, in the sidewalk to my apartment, I lived on the fourth floor, I, I hear laughing, and I look down the apartment complex, and there's a little white boy and a little black boy, probably five or six years old, playing down there. And my heart instantly freaks out and says, God's going to tell me to give it to those boys. And I felt like Jonah. I ran upstairs quickly, four flights of stairs, slammed my door like God can't speak to me up there and say, you're a stupid human being. <laughs> I'm running from God because I'm he hasn't even asked me to give it to him, but I'm afraid he is. I'm afraid he's going to ask me to give up something I didn't even know existed five hours prior. And I, I, I got to my apartment up there and I said, Lord, this is, this is pathetic. This is, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm a 25, 27-year-old grown man. I have enough money to go to Toys R Us because that used to exist back then. I could go buy 100 of these. There's only 25 bucks a piece. I could have bought 100 of those and given them to every kid in the neighborhood. I didn't even know the thing existed, and I'm already in lust. And I said, Lord, whatever you want. I, don't, I can't even enjoy it now because it, it symbolizes the sin that's still in my heart. And that's a really lame example because it's a Spider-Man, but who would ever thought a rubber Spider-Man could get you into sin. But the Spider-Man wasn't the problem. The wickedness of my heart was, because God doesn't care about a rubber Spider-Man statue, no more than he cares about whatever your idol might be. The problem is the two cross and the selfishness, which is always the root of idolatry, was manifested over something so petty. Whatever you can't let go of or get rid of is an idol. So that's a good way to judge. Maybe in your material goods, maybe in your reputation. Uh, anything you lust after becomes an idol. You lust after a title. Do you lust after a position? Do you lust and cannot be content? Do you lust and desire to have it you can't obtain? Uh, you desire to have it for the wrong motives. That's what James warns us of. So we've got to make sure we're judging ourselves because idolatry is not rubbing a bead or lighting a candle or incense before a giant golden Buddha. Idolatry is anything you can't let go of, walk away from, anything that causes your heart to give sinful emotions towards. That's an idol. What triggers you? Offense is idolatrous. It's one thing for something to happen and you've never experienced it and you're offended because you get sideswiped by it. And then you get a hold of yourself and say, all right, all right, I just, I discount that. I'm not going to let that touch me again. It's another thing when your whole life is defined by one flavor of offense. That is idolatry. 
And it, it may have happened for a genuine reason. Maybe you were betrayed by men, and every now, time you see a man, you just hate him, but it's still an idol. You may have been truly stabbed in the back by a woman, and you can't trust women anymore, but it's still an idol. Anything that you're constantly offended at, that is worship of your heart towards something God does not approve of. Because the whole key is what are we giving our heart's worship, our heart's attention, our heart's love towards? What can't you just walk away from? The Lord says, you came into this world naked, and it's certain you can take nothing out of it. So what are we clinging to? What can't we just walk away from? Look at first, uh, let's read that verse again. Uh, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. That is those things that are causing you to want to fornicate, those things that are causing you uncleanness, those things that are causing you inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, and which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. So this can still apply to Christians. He's having to tell the church at Colossae, don't, don't go back this route. Put to death these things and don't have this idolatry working in you. Every one of us has something somewhere in our heart today that is an idol. And there's little idols, and then there's monsters that God's dealing with you about. It's always best to deal with the idols when they're little and don't let them grow up to be big ones. But there may be somebody here, a couple people here, this idol is all you think about. Unforgiveness will consume you. Wrath will consume you. Vengeance will consume you. And God will eventually deal with you in such a brutal way, you'll have a crossroads. He would rather gently deal with you and help you start to let go of these things. But if you're going to be stubborn and you're going to press into God, it's going to tear you apart because you, you can't serve two masters. You can only serve the Lord Jesus Christ or your idol, but you can't serve both. And it'll be, if you've ever water skied, it'll be like your skis coming apart on the water. At some point, you bail in the middle. So we got to pinpoint where this idol is and destroy it, hate it, curse it, and say, Lord, please forgive me for claiming with my mouth I worship Jesus, but in my heart I worship other things. Look at 1 John, last verse in the whole epistle. 1 John, then I'm going to go to some Old Testament stuff that I think is going to help us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So Paul told the Corinth church, flee, flee them. Colossians says, flee them, put to death them. And here it says, keep yourselves from them. I like to make the point in 1 John. 1 John gives us through many of the scriptures, there's four categories of Christians. There's babies, little children, young men, and fathers. The four stages of Christian growth. When you first get born again, you're a babe in Christ. We know that lingo over and over again in the New Testament. First John begins to use the term little children a lot. Paul uses the term my little children a lot. Then first John also introduces the concept of young men in the faith and then fathers as well. It's interesting that the passage concludes addressing not the young men and not the fathers as other passages in the epistle d- does. It talks about little children. So it kind of helps us pinpoint what stage of Christian development you're in when you're still dealing with idols on a regular basis. It could be you fancy yourself a young man or woman in the faith or a father or a mother in the faith, but to get to those stages, idols aren't really much of a thing anymore. 
You might get offended for a day and you shake it off. You might get into a little bit of covetousness for a, a day or half a day, you shake it off. But you don't have to be reminded, this is wrong, get away from it. You know the second your heart goes, oh, I'm so jealous. Oh, but bless them. Oh, I wish I had that. Oh, but Lord, bless them. When you're mature, you don't have to be reminded, you're an idolatry. You're an idolatry. That is a symptom of little child Christianity. Now, it's okay, just don't stay there. It's okay to be a little child especially to recognize you're a little child, but be like our normal, natural kids and want to grow up. I, I want to be big. I want to do that. Well, this is how you do it. You get rid of your idolatry. Selfishness is idolatry. And when it's all about you, 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 that's idolatry. When it's all about my way or the highway, that's idolatry because it's, it's a glorification of self. Idolatry, let me add this. Idolatry is thinking everyone needs to be like you. That's one form of idolatry. Everybody needs to be like you. This is also religion. Religion is such that you're a Baptist and you think everybody else needs to be a Baptist. Or you're Church of Christ and you think everybody else needs to be Church of Christ. Or you're charismatic and you think everybody else needs to be charismatic. I don't know why we don't just expect everybody to be like Jesus. Why can't we just say, look, man, you sing a little different and you say things a little different. Just be like Jesus, though. Well, it's because religion... And that spirit and selfishness comes along and it makes us think we're the best kind of Christianity there is. When there is no best kind, there's everybody just striving towards the mark of the high call in Christ. We have some stuff the Baptists don't. The Baptists have stuff we don't. The Lutherans have an insight we don't have. We have stuff they don't have. We need the whole body who are truly born again. But I, I learned this from uh, Dr. Sumrall. He told a story a long time ago. And he said he was at what's called a full gospel businessman's lunch or breakfast. That used to be a kind of a charismatic thing 60, 70 years ago, 60 years ago, 50 years ago. And it was really helping a lot of denominational Christians come out of denominationalism and meet in spirit-filled settings. And they'd always have guest ministers who were spirit-filled or word of faith. And so this was a luncheon. A lot of the great big wigs that maybe our church recognizes as spiritual heroes would teach at these in the 60s and 70s. But so Lester Sumrall was invited to go to one of these with a friend of his. And uh, they sat down across the table from a man who turned out to be a Baptist. And I'm not picking on Baptists because I, I still am one. And so Dr. Sumrall said his friend looked at this Baptist pastor and said, friend, you have a demon, which insulted the Baptists because they don't believe in demons. At least they didn't. Nor do they believe Christians could have demons. He said, actually, you have two demons. I see one on either of your shoulders. And the man gets offended and says, how dare you say that? I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a seminarian. I've been pastoring for 20 years. He said, nope, I'm looking at him right now. You have two demons, one on either shoulder. And so the man says, all right, well, what are they? He said, well, the one I see on your one shoulder is the spirit of hypnotism. And that freaked the pastor out because since he was a little boy, he could hypnotize people. And he developed it in high school. He developed it in college. Then he went on to seminary. And he could hypnotize people as, party, as a party gag. And now this man's in his 40s or 50s. Nobody in the world, especially not in that meeting, would know he dabbled in hypnotism. But he says, there's a, there's a demon of hypnotism. You hypnotize people, and it's a devil. And that got the guy's attention. And he said, well, okay. What's the other devil? He said, religion. I see it. He said, well, what do you mean? He says, you're a Baptist. Didn't know he was a Baptist. You're a Baptist, and you think everybody else has to be one too. And so he said, Help me. Pray for me. And they cast the devils out of them. So you mean pastors can have devils? 
Pastors can have anything they want, even their seven mistresses. Amen. So idolatry and religion is thinking everybody has to be like you. That's idolatry. Any, I was just talking with Pastor Brett. He was having an issue out of a typical Jezebel. Apparently they make them African flavored too. <laughs> they don't just come in middle class white charismatic. They come in black Africa too. So he said, I got, a, I got something for you, Pastor. I said, what is it? He said, I got this lady. She's just emailing me after every service, and now she's trying to tell me where I'm wrong and all that. And I said, well, you, you know what you can do to her, right? You know, you, I know you can tell her. So we talked about it. But see, that's an idol too, and I've dealt with those kind of women, usually women. It's a Jezebel thing. They come to our church, not just our church, Pastor Brett's church, any church in town, they come, and within like two services, they want to tell me everything we're doing wrong, and they come, and they think their purpose is to change us. That is idolatry. If God sent you here, it's not to change us. It's for you to be changed. But idolatry will, will cause you to be able to come to a church and never take on the flavor where God called you. Are we perfect? No, but we're better than you. If I can say that without sounding arrogant. No, collectively, we've been doing this a long time. I've had to tell many a Jezebel, look, I've been doing this way longer than I've known you. I have a pastor. His name is not you. I was qualified to do this 14 years ago, way before you ever walked through those doors. You don't even know my last name. You don't know my first name. You don't know my pastor's name. You don't know what we're dealing with. You don't know where we've come from. You don't know where we're going. And you want to sit there and tell me how we need to change this? You're an idol worshiper. Repent or go somewhere else. And I usually know the church they end up at. And I think, what does that say about my friend? Idolatry is thinking everyone needs to be like you. And this is also the spirit of religion. But religion doesn't care what you worship as long as it's not Jesus. The gospel, let's come back to the real gospel. The gospel is a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling man back to God. That's our calling we're not to reconcile people to our church. We're not to reconcile people to our doctrine. We reconcile people back to God. Idolatry wants to reconcile people to personal causes. That's idolatry. Uh, I want you to be a part of my cause. There's a slimy preacher who moves in and out of this region and he just provoked several preachers to go over to our hospital and protest our hospital. And the whole excuse was they weren't giving one patient the treatment they wanted. So a slimy, another slimy preacher of mine got involved with that. And they went over two weeks ago and protested at our hospital. Those men are idiots. But that's idolatry. You want people reconciled to your cause. Now, I'm all, I'm all for political protest if it's fitting, but when you're dealing with a hospital of people that are doing their best to treat who are sick and you're just sucked up into political causes, that's idolatry. And it's because of these pastors who I will have no affiliation with protesting that you now see signs all around our community that say, thank you, Cookville Regional Medical Center, for taking care of us. These people have had to put out signs because pastors are idiots. That's idolatry. Wanting everybody to be reconciled to your cause, that is idolatrous. Our job is to reconcile mankind back to Jesus Christ, to restore them back to fellowship because a political cause at the hospital ain't getting anybody into heaven. 
It's a way to flex your muscle, get on Instagram, Facebook, and have some notoriety. But that in itself is an idol to want name recognition, to want to be on the front news page of the news, and to want to be at Nashville 5 News. I mean, it's idolatry. It's arrogance. We want to make sure that we focus on reconciling people back to God. Idolatry wants to reconcile people to personal causes. The gospel wants to see people right with God, not just right. When you're idolatrous, you, everybody's got to be right. You've got to be right. And you hold people accountable. You're not right. You're not right. You're not, you didn't say that right. That's the whole political correctness junk. You didn't say that right. The gospel's not interested in you being right. The gospel's interested in you being right with God. If we're not careful, idolatry will creep in. We'll want everybody to hate our enemies. We'll want everybody to love our friends. We'll want everybody to like our team. We'll want everybody to go along with what is carnal and what needs to be mortified and put to death. Making people right according to our personal preferences is not only control, it can easily be witchcraft. Making or wanting people to be right according to our personal preferences is not only control, it's also easily witchcraft. You end up manipulating people to make them see things the way you see them. That's idolatry. But the reason that's coming out of you is because it's in you so strong. That's your idol. And that's not the will of God. Our focus as born-again believers is to win the world to Jesus. Red and yellow, black and white. We don't care what the political ideology is. We don't care what their weight is. We don't care what the socioeconomic value is. We want it, mankind reconciled back to Christ. Anything apart from that becomes idolatry. Our whole world, our whole country rises and falls on idols. We even have American Idol. We, we get into idolatry very easily. Anybody who can be in front of a television we think is awesome and perfect. Our hearts are easily beguiled into all weird forms of idolatry. When you walk with Jesus Christ, nobody impresses you. And no political cause moves you because you walk with Jesus Christ. Remember Pastor Okwokwo? He said, God is not interested in our, our culture. He's not impressed with our culture. He has given us the kingdom's culture. That's what we aim for. We want the kingdom's culture. So my desire as a Christian ought to be to get the kingdom's culture in you. My desire ought to get the kingdom's culture wherever I preach in the world, wherever I preach in this country. Everywhere we go in the country, cultures are different regionally. So let's get the kingdom's culture we're not going to exalt anything other than Jesus Christ. So go to 1 Samuel here. Let's look at some famous passages, and we're going to wrap it up. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5. I want us to be judging on our hearts, because we've all got idolatry somewhere. What offends you? Does it offend you when somebody talks bad against your spiritual hero? That can become an idol. In our church, before me, a lot of us worshiped Pastor Vaughn in an idolatrous way. He could do no wrong, and it was very harmful. It was very gross. Uh, we honor those that have the rule over us. We don't worship them. We esteem them highly in love, but not in worship. We esteem them highly for their work's sake, because they work hard. They sacrifice. So there's a balance to it. There, on one end of the spectrum, there is... Uh, the, the sin of running them down and thinking, well, they're just man. On the other end of the spectrum is the worship of man, which is not acceptable. And down the middle of the road is honor and respect and giving them their due benevolence because they labor for the kingdom, even if we don't agree with all their doctrine. In our church, we used to worship Pastor Vaughn, and it was sick and disgusting, and God hated it. We can easily be doing the same thing now. We can worship political figures. We can worship sports figures, and that's idolatry. Whatever offends you, Whatever causes you to shriek and get mad and run away, that has touched an idol of the heart. 
I should be in such a place that you can tell me my kids are stupid, worthless, and, and, and good for nothing. And I say, well, God bless you. I love my kids, but you're an idiot. You're going to you know, run my wife down. All right, so what? Where are we, I hate the word because it's such a woke Zoomer term, where are we triggered? And how easy is that trigger? Are we like a hairpin trigger, like a professional rifle expert? Are we more like Granny's double action revolver that takes about 90 pounds of pressure and you're better off just throwing the gun at somebody? <laughs> how easily are we set off? Because we can be into idolatry always having to have everything perfect around us. Oof. You're the kind of person, somebody ought to go behind you and just make everything crooked. <laughs> just turn this sideways, open this, spill this, knock this over, rearrange your couch cushions, just throw one in the floor, turn the toilet paper around the other way. <laughs> Who is moaning over that? <laughs> Jeff Harris. You're from Watertown. You've only been using toilet paper 15 years. There's a certain way you have to have toilet paper roll. Kitchens. You spent 14 years in the armed services. I know what the toilet paper in an MRE looks like. It's this big. But the rest of it has to be a certain way. It's the men in this church that have a... It's the big burly men in this church. Sometimes as a pastor, you just don't want to know. It's easier to love sheep. I'll pray for both your wives. And I assign both Dee Dee and Jenny, turn the toilet paper any way you want to. What does it matter? You're just going to wad it up anyway. You got a special way you fold it? Is it like puwagami? You just do it certain just right? We should read a verse. Where are we in 1 Samuel? Oh, yeah. Lord of mercy. Let me find it. Uh, yeah. We need to make sure that we remove all the idols out of our life. And wherever you're in control of things, it's 1 Samuel 15. Wherever you've got to be in control, that might be an idol worth tearing down. So here's the famous story, so to speak, of King Saul losing his calling because he disobeyed the prophet, disobeyed God, didn't sacrifice all the animals and kill all the kings he was supposed to at battle, but he, he feared he listened to people, he feared and he listened to people, and he went with the political moment rather than obeying God. The political movement says, let's save the best sheep. We don't have to kill all the kings. Let's do our thing with them. Let's parade the kings around and let's keep the best animals. So he listened to the, he let the people vote. And he followed their whims. He, he stuck his finger to the wind like a good politician and said, what do the people want? And let me give it to them. What a coward. And so he goes on to make an excuse. And he says, you know, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and I've, I've brought the best to God. And verse 22 says, and Samuel said to King Saul, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's what we aim for. Dr. Barclay harps on us preachers in private. We measure success in terms of obedience. 
We don't measure success in terms of numbers of people in the chair. We don't measure success by the numbers of money in the offering. We don't measure success as the number of people we're touching. We measure success in obedience. If we obey, that's success. And that's a lot harder than to get people in the seats. Obedience is a lot harder than to get money in the offering. Obedience is a lot harder than touching people. Because sometimes obedience just cross plows numbers all together. You think about Philip the evangelist has a great revival going in Syria, uh, um, uh, Samaria and the Lord speaks to him and he has to go and preaches to one guy in a caravan. That's all he gets to do. He leaves a hot revival and goes to, to the desert to talk to one man. And it doesn't look like success, but it was obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice and behold, to obey is better than sacrifice to hearken. That is to listen and do. That's the word hearken in the King James always means to listen and do. A lot of folks listen. They don't all do. To listen and do is better than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness, stubbornness. That is inequity and idolatry. Now in the King James is as in both those sentences is cross is italics, which means it's implied. We could eliminate those words without hurting the verse or the original Hebrew and read rebellion is the sin, not is as, but it's the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is the sin of inequity and idolatry. So here's another thing that shows us what idolatry is. Stubbornness. Just being stubborn is idolatry. Why? Because it's you worshiping what you want and nobody can make me do what I want. We were talking last night, the, the Gordons in our home, we were talking about the homeless problem in America blowing up everywhere. It's not just Cookville in their town of Sioux City. Their homeless population has exploded. It's what you do when you purposely sabotage the economy. People become homeless. But they were sharing with me a story about in one of their homeless missions, it's very, there's like three rules, very simple rules that you'd almost have to just be a monkey to break these rules and not get them. Just obey these three rules, you can stay here. And most of the homeless folks refuse to obey any of them because you're not going to tell them what to do. Now, that's not every homeless person. We know we have mental illness. We have drug addiction. We have folks that are just genuinely down on their luck. Mr. Luke is our homeless liaison. He knows more about homelessness than anybody in this whole region. It's what he's done. It's what he does right now. He works with all the government officials here and met with the governor two weeks ago to discuss all this. But there are those who say, you're not going to tell me what to do. And the Bible says, that's idolatry. You're not going to tell me how to dress. Well, then you don't get to work at the factory because you have to wear a uniform. You're not going to tell me how to drive. Well, then you're not going to get a license because they're going to revoke it. You're not going to tell me what I have to do to stay in this homeless mission. Well, then you're not going to stay here. It's rebellion. That's what it says. Rebellion is witchcraft. Stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Notice that stubbornness and idolatry is rejecting the word of God. And when you start to live according to the idols, when we live according to the idols in our heart, we have to reject the word of God. My whole Spider-Man thing. What was I doing running up those stairs? Running from the potential word of the Lord. I'm fleeing it. As dumb as that is. We do the same thing when the Lord says witness to that person. I don't know. So we reject the word of the Lord. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he will reject you. Or it says he'll reject, he's rejected you also from being king. We want to make sure we, we pinpoint where all these idols are so that we don't get rejected. God hates idolatry. He loves us, but something has to give. So what he does is say, like we tell our kids, change that attitude or I'm going to change it for you. Get rid of that before it grows any bigger. Knock it over. 
In the Old Testament, symbolically, they'd take those idols, they'd crush them, they'd burn them, they'd crush them into powder. Moses then strawed upon the water, made them drink the water. So they're drinking their crushed up idol. Now it's solids, so they're not going to urinate the golden calf. What are they going to do with the golden calf? See, the circle of life always comes back to that. Wait till I show you Ezekiel. The Lord says, this is what your idols are to me. They're excrement. You have it erected in your heart as, as God. God says, to me, it's your feces. So, so it's almost like when he ground up the golden calf and made them drink it. He's like, this is in your heart. I want it coming out your rear end. You have it in the wrong place. <laughs> Same with all of our idols. We have them in the wrong place. We ought to hate them. We ought to tread upon them. We, we ought to see it as God sees it. We ought to smell it as God smells it. And we ought to not want to touch it. That's how much it ought to be. Nobody, unless you're a monkey or somebody who needs therapy, handles excrement in their hand and smells it and shares it and yet, that's the picture Moses gave by the hand of God about how God sees idolatry. And yet, what we do is we take that and we put it in our heart, and then we want to come into the presence of God like that. We want to worship Jesus at his altar with unforgiveness towards Jeb Harris. We want to give an offering at the altar when we hate our mother-in-law. And so it's the Lord saying, like, Mama, all right, before you boys come in, go hose off. And leave all of that on the back deck. That's what he wants us to do. Now, all right, come with me to uh, Ezekiel. And we're going to walk through this with the time we have in the New Living Translation. I'm going to pull it up in my phone so I don't have to keep turning around and looking at it here. Ezekiel chapter 14. Because this is the danger. So, so far we've said uh, idolatry can be unforgiveness. Idolatry can be covetousness. Idolatry can be stubbornness. Idolatry can you, you be wanting everybody to be like you. These are different idols. They're not just chubby Buddhas. And we're to flee, we're to flee, we're to flee. So we have to find it and get rid of it. Ezekiel chapter 14, New Living Translation. Go ahead and throw it up if you're ready. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then some of the leaders of Israel visited me, and while they were sitting with me, this message came to me from the Lord. And let's pause there. This is Ezekiel prophesying from Shushan of Persia. They've been in captivity for a long time, Babylon. And the elders, they're all slaves. The elders have come, and they come to the prophet because they want to hear the word of the Lord. It's like a good old charismatic meeting. What's the word say? What's the Lord saying to you, preacher? What's the Lord saying to you, pastor? So... This is what's about to unfold. They come to the prophet for the word of the Lord. They know Ezekiel's the prophet. What's God saying to you? <laughs> they came and they inquired. This is the message the Lord came to me. Son of man, verse 3, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. Now, is there a footnote there? No. In my Bible app, there's a footnote under the word idols. This is what the, <laughs> this is what the footnote in my Bible app says. The Hebrew term literally means round things and probably alludes to dung. <laughs> then it says, see also all these other verses. It literally means round things and according to the lexicon, 
probably alludes to dung. So maybe there's a play on word in the Hebrew. God's calling it idols, but at the same time, he's using a term that also means dung, which is exactly what we saw just now with Moses and the golden calf. It's exactly how God sees our lust of Spider-Man action figures. It's dung. And if I could go back, I'd buy every kid on the block a Spider-Man action figure because I regret that idol. Stupid. I didn't even know that stupid action figure existed five hours prior, and in five hours, I'm running from God like Jonah. That's how quickly idols erect. Dumb. They have erected, they have set up idols in their hearts. So this tells us where idols are. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. That's another thing that makes it an idol. Anything you embrace that causes you to fall into sin. Why should I listen to their requests? So here comes the critical point. When we have idols in our heart, it will hinder your prayer life. God says, why should I listen to their requests? Now, 1 John 5 tells us this is the confidence we have that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the petitions we've requested of him or desire of him. This verse says, nope, that you don't get to apply that verse because you have an idol. It doesn't matter if you pray according to his will. If you have an idol, why should he listen? So you can't have idols claim 1 John and have anything you want in prayer. So one of the carrots in front of us as donkeys should be get the idols out whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's control, whether it's the way we roll our toilet paper at the house, whether it's we want everybody to be a charismatic or a Baptist or a church of Christ, whatever it is, get it out so God can listen to your requests. Amen. Verse 4, tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, the people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts, and again, that's the word dung, and fallen into sin, And then they go to a prophet asking for a message. So I, the Lord, will give them the kind of answer that great idols or great idolatry deserves. Do you know why services might crush you? Because the spirit of the sovereign Lord is answering you according to your little dung snowmen that you have erected in your heart. I mean, if if it's a little round thing and it alludes to dung, I see like poo men, little... Little dung beetles rolling little balls, stacking little poo idols called unforgiveness, greed, lust, avarice, jealousy, political movements, etc. So when you come to church and the word of the Lord comes forth and it crushes you, you're just getting the message your idolatry deserves. I will give them the kind of answer great idolatry deserves. Amen. Because God says, I love you, but man, you stink. Man, I love you, but that thing is disgusting. Man, I love you, but we got to get that washed out. I remember one time, I was eight years old. Back in those days, it was trendy to wear turf shoes. Not Nikes, not Adidas, turf. I never played baseball. I did as a five-year-old, six-year-old, t-ball. But to wear, like, turf shoes, baseball turf. That was just the going thing in elementary school. So I had turf shoes. And uh, on our way out of lunch, you know, you line up like little students, because children don't need liberty. They need single-file lines. We don't ask them what they think. We tell them what they do. That's how you raise good children anyway. Children, they don't even... You're still dealing with 15-year-olds not to pick their nose. I mean, why would you ask them what gender they are at five? (laughs) 
So we're lining up coming out of the cafeteria, and then all of a sudden there's a disruption. The line, like, oh, puke, puke, puke. So there's puke. So everybody's stepping around. Oh, oh, oh. So we get down to homeroom. Remember homeroom? I don't know what they have now. Uh, well, I won't rip on public education. We had homeroom, and we're down there, and man, we can all smell puke everywhere. It's just nasty, disgusting, and we're trying to get away from it. And then I realize it's in my cleats. I had stepped in it. And that's why the cleat part of the story is important, the turf, because the turf has little holes in all the chunks. Remember, it was white, sour, potatoes, um, rice, maggots. You're not sure. Still wet. Sour. Did I mention sour? And everybody, we're trying to get away from it. And everywhere we're moving, it's with us because it's on me in my turf. So that's the Lord saying, I love you, man. You, you stepped in it. And a wise person would say, ooh, let me go outside and hose this off. Let me go to the bathroom. What we do is we erect it as an idol in our heart and we defend it. We double down on it. And the Lord says, I'll give you an answer. Deserving of your great idolatry. I will do this, verse 5, to capture the minds and hearts of all my people who have turned from me to worship their detestable idols. King James says, they have estranged themselves from me. Idols will estrange us from our God. You can be born again, spirit-filled, Bible-taught, and the second you start to build an idol, it will begin to tear you apart from your God. And that's why he will give you messages worthy of your great idolatry. And they aren't soft. They are not encouraging. But why does he give such a hard message? He wants to capture your mind. He wants to capture your heart. He wants to show you where you're wrong and make you hate the thing you should hate. That's why he refers to it in such disgusting human terms. Verse 6, Therefore tell the people of Israel, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Repent and turn away from your idols and stop all your detestable sins. It's just really easy. Just stop. Just drop it. What can't you walk away from? Who can't you forgive? What habit can you not stop? What habit do you still justify? What thing must you control before you find one little drop of happiness? What, what is it you just can't stop doing? What is it you can't let go of? What, it, what is it that you're trying to use to identify yourself as? Everybody, if we're not careful, we've got something we, we fancy ourselves as. And if you're, not, if you're not cautious, you're going to end up sounding like the LGBTQAIP2S crowd because they identify but it doesn't make it so. So you might fancy yourself some Don Juan. You might fancy yourself some great intellect. You might fancy yourself some woke warrior. You might fancy yourself God's gift to women. You might fancy yourself God's gift to the kingdom. You might fancy yourself God's gift to art. It doesn't mean it's so. So what is it you're identifying yourself as? What is it you posture and, and, and advertise yourself as? That might be the idol. Because we've got men that identify as women, but God says that ain't so. And women that identify themselves as men, and God says it ain't so. And Christians that identify themselves as blank, and God says that ain't so. It's not even a real thing. That becomes an idol. What do you use? What do you want to be known for? That's what we have to ask ourselves. What is it people know us for, and does it line up with the Bible? Does it sell overseas? Because if what we're known for is only sold here in America, it's pretty useless. If we're known for being uh, the best yodeler, that doesn't sell well anywhere out of this region and Switzerland. And it's a totally different accent. <laughs> if you can't sell it to the dying world of China, you should probably get rid of it because it's an idol. 
We should be consumed of what edifies, what wins the lost, what builds the kingdom. Repent and turn away from your idols and stop all your detestable sins. Verse 7, I, the Lord, will answer all those, both Israelites and foreigners, who reject me. Idolatry is a slow process of rejecting God. We all have idols, but if you don't begin to tear them down, they will begin to edge God out of your life. And the next step we won't get into here, the next step is in self-defiance, we begin to call the idol Jesus. Just like um, Aaron did with the golden calf. He said, behold, Jehovah. So when you ask those Israelites, 14,000 of them, who do you worship? Jehovah. He's beautiful. The, the Jehovah God, the, the bull, was a, an Egyptian deity called Apis. He was the only living God in Egypt's pantheon. But Apis was the benevolent God. He was a real cow that was birthed by a ray of sunlight. And he was the God of benevolence towards foreigners. And he was the God of healing. In, the, in Apis' temple, he was a cow. He was a real cow. And you would bring your sick by him so he could breathe on him because his breath brought life. So Aaron picks the right false God because it sounds like Jehovah. He's merciful to strangers. He just delivered Israel. He's the healer. He's birthed by a ray of sunshine. And so their hearts said, we worship Jehovah. But God says, that ain't me. And if you're, you and I aren't careful, the idols of our heart, we'll start saying it's God. And God says, I told you like a couple months ago, that was like a poo snowman. And, and if we're not careful, we start calling a turd our savior. We start calling this disgusting fecal sculpture the move of God. And all it is is excrement full of bile and worms. That's idolatry. He says it will separate you from your God. Those who reject me, I will answer all those, both Israel and foreigners, who reject me and set up idols in their heart and fall into sin, and then who come to a prophet asking for my advice. What advice do you need? But just repent. Stop. Verse 8, I will turn against such people and make a terrible example of them, eliminating them from among my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will turn against people who will not let go of their idols. Again, these idols can start off small, like something stupid, like a Spider-Man action figure, but it can grow into something like unforgiveness, or you've just got to be right. You can be so right, it costs you everybody in your life. We want to make sure we say the Lord Jesus is all that's right. We walk away from any movement, any hobby, any family member, any commitment that begins to become an idol in our life. Adjust it because a lot of what we deal with isn't necessarily wrong, but how we view it, how we pursue it, how we want it, how we think about it is wrong. And that's what God's going to strike it down and kill it. There's nothing wrong with gold sculptures. Solomon's temple is full of them, but they didn't worship them. Nothing wrong with a hobby, but when it consumes you, God will touch it. You'll never get to have it again. Nothing wrong with being offended in the moment if you'll use it to pray for your enemy. But you harness that offense, God will touch you, and there may not be much left after he's done breaking you down. We want to make sure we get rid of all idolatry. What is it you think everybody needs to be like? And if it isn't Jesus, you're in idolatry. Because our focus as Christians is not to promote football or science 
or to promote finances. Our job is not to promote prosperity. Our job is not to promote anything but reconciliation back to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you fix everything. Anything that detracts from that starts to tread into idolatrous waters. When you want to be known for your hairstyle or your fashion or your culture, you're an idolatry. If we say, hey, what do you know about that Miss Angie? Oh, you mean the woman that always drives a Lexus? This is not her. I'm just making this. She always drives a Lexus, always dressed to the T, and always has the next Gucci bag? Yeah. Yeah, that's all idolatry. What do you know about that Miss Angie Murdoch? That's a woman of God who exhorts. She witnesses to everybody. If you need prayer, you go to her. She'll be praying for you. That ought to be our testimony. If it is separated from Christ, you have an idol. If you are known for any movement other than the gospel, you have an idol. And it's a giant turd in the nostrils of God. Remember what Paul said, all those things I brag about? Remember that, Philippians? All those things I brag about. All those things I was so proud of. I count them but that I might obtain him. Verse 9. And if a prophet is deceived into giving a message, it is because I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. This verse tells us that when you have an idol in your heart, sometimes the prophet will prophesy a lie in line with your lie, and you'll double down on your idol. That's terrifying. You can't trust every thus says the Lord. He says, and if a prophet is deceived into giving a message, it is because I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet, and I will lift my fist against such prophets and cut them off from the community of Israel. False prophets and those who seek their guidance will all be punished for their sins. In this way, the people of Israel will learn to stray, will learn not to stray from me, polluting themselves with sin. They will be my people, and I will be their God. I, uh, I the sovereign Lord, have spoken. We need to examine our hearts. Where is the idolatry? Because we've all got it somewhere. And we just need to be honest and just repent. It's pretty easy. Just knock it over. Say, Lord, forgive me. And you'll be tempted to make a footpath back to that little temple that you built when you see the person or hear the name or, or are put into the situation. You, have, you and I have built a footpath to that old pagan temple where we would sneak away from God to go worship this little thing. That path has got to overgrow and you've got to lose total sight of it. And you've got to be able to let go. What can't we let go of? What can't you just walk away from? That's an idol. What can't you just say, Lord, I put it on the altar, burn it. That is an idol. And it doesn't matter whether your neighbor can tolerate it. It doesn't matter if I can permit it in my life. It's between you and God. Because he, Father knows best in our life. Judge ourselves. Let's judge ourselves on forgiveness. Let's judge ourselves on covetousness and greed and stinginess. Let's judge ourselves on stubbornness. Let's judge ourselves anything we can't present to God as a burnt offering. We have to acknowledge there's an idol there. If we'll get rid of it, he'll hear our cry. If we'll get rid of it, we'll be pure. If we'll get rid of it, he'll promote us. If we'll get rid of it, our faith will be pure. If we'll get rid of it, people will know us more for who we are in Christ and less by the idol. You and I smell like the idols of our life. And, and maybe if you want to, ask somebody you trust in this church, what do I smell like to you? Do I smell like Jesus or is there other aromas? And you can smell when somebody walks in and they stepped into dog poo. You can smell it. Just like you can smell it when I stepped into the vomit. Everywhere we went, it smelled like vomit. Ask somebody you trust, what do you smell on me? 
And then you have to judge yourself. Am I trying to put that aroma out? Is there something I don't see? Is this what I'm trying to identify as? Can you smell any Jesus on me? Can you smell any gospel on me? Can you smell any aroma of the gospel message? Or is it all just my sports team, my, my feminism? Because you got some Christians, they're just hung up on feminism. That's an idol too. Where are we current with God? Where are we stale? What are we trying to identify as? What are we trying to push off on people? Is it the gospel? Is it reconciliation? Or is it our little selfish thing? All right? You feel okay? It's quiet. Remember, I'm the idiot that was scared to give two precious little boys a Spider-Man figure that I could have bought a hundred of the same day. So don't beat yourself up. Say, well, praise God, at least I'm not that stupid. <laughs> but hopefully in this message, you've seen where maybe there's something you got to let go of. Here's the good news. You let go of it, you make more room for God. Any impurity out means a more refined purity. And we want to be as pure as possible.